Letter forty seven of Clarissa Harlowe, volume four. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicole Lee. Clarissa Harlowe, volume four by Samuel Richardson. Letter forty seven. Mr. Lovelace to John Belford, Esquire. Monday morning, May twenty second. No generosity in this lady. None at all. Wouldst thou not have thought? that after I had permitted her to withdraw, prime for mischief as I was, she would meet me next morning early, and that with a smile, making me one of her best curtsies. I was in the dining-room before six, expecting her. She opened not her door. I went upstairs and down, and hemmed, and called Will, called Dorcas, threw the doors hard too, but still she opened not her door. Thus till half an hour after eight fooled I away my time, and then, breakfast ready, I sent Dorcas to request her company. But I was astonished when, following the wench, as she did at the first invitation, I saw her enter dressed all but her gloves, and those and her fan in her hand, in the same moment bidding Dorcas direct Will to get her a chair to the door. Cruel creature, thought I, to expose me thus to the derision of the women below. Going abroad, madam? I am, sir. I look cursed silly, I am sure. You will breakfast first, I hope, madam, and a very humble strain, yet with an hundred tender looks in my heart. Had she given me more notice of her intention, I had perhaps wrought myself up to the frame I was in the day before, and begun my vengeance, and immediately came into my head all the virulence that had been transcribed for me from Miss Howe's letters, and in that letter which I had transcribed myself. Yes, she would drink one dish, and then laid her gloves and fan in the window just by. I was perfectly disconcerted. I hemmed, and was going to speak several times, but I knew not in what key. Who's modest now, thought I? Who's insolent now? How a tyrant of a woman confounds a bashful man! She was acting Miss Howe, I thought, and I the spiritless Hickman. At last, I will begin, thought I. She a dish, I a dish. Sip, her eyes her own, she, like a haughty and imperious sovereign, conscious of dignity, every look her favour. Sip, like her vassal, I, lips and hands trembling, and not knowing that I sipped or tasted. I was... I was, I sipped, drawing in my breath and the liquor together, though I scalded my mouth with it. I was in hopes, madam. Dorcas came in just then. Dorcas, said she, is the chair gone for? Damned impertinence, thought I, thus to put me out in my speech, and I was forced to wait for the servant's answer to the insolent mistress's question. William is gone for one, madam. This cost me a minute's silence before I could begin again, and then it was with my hopes and my hopes and my hopes that I should have been early admitted to. What weather is it, Dorcas? said she, as regardless of me, as if I had not been present. A little lowering, madam, the sun is gone in. It was very fine half an hour ago. I had no patience. Up I rose. Down went the teacup, saucer and all. Confound the weather, the sunshine, and the winch. Be gone for a devil when I am speaking to your lady, and have so little opportunity given me. Up rose the saucy face, half frighted, and snatched from the window her gloves and fan. You must not go, madam seizing her hand by my soul you must not must not sir but i must you can curse your maid in my absence as well as if i were present except except you intend for me what you direct to her dearest creature you must not go you must not leave me such determined scorn such contempts question asked your servant of no meaning but to break in upon me i cannot bear it detain me not struggling i will not be withheld 
i like you not nor your ways you sought to quarrel with me yesterday for no reason in the world that i can think of but because i was too obliging you are an ungrateful man and i hate you with my whole heart mr lovelace do not make me desperate madam permit me to say that you shall not leave me in this humour wherever you go i will attend you had miss howe been my friend i had not been thus treated it is but too plain to whom my difficulties are owing i have long observed that every letter you received from her makes an alteration in your behaviour to me she would have you treat me as she treats mr hickman i suppose but neither does that treatment become your admirable temper to offer nor me to receive this startled her she did not care to have me think hardly of miss howe but recollecting herself miss howe said she is a friend to virtue and to good men if she like not you it is because you are not one of those yes madam and therefore to speak of mr hickman and myself as you both i suppose think of each she treats him as she would not treat a lovelace i challenge you madam to shew me but one of the many letters you have received from her where i am mentioned miss howe is just miss howe is good replied she she writes she speaks of everybody as they deserve if you point me out but any one occasion upon which you have reason to build a merit to yourself as either just or good or even generous i will look out for her letter on that occasion if such an occasion there be i have certainly acquainted her with it and will engage it shall be in your favour devilish severe and as indelicate as severe to put a modish man upon hunting backward after his own merits she would have flung from me i will not be detained mr lovelace i will go out indeed you must not madam in this humour and i placed myself between her and the door and then fanning she threw herself into a chair her sweet face all crimsoned over with passion i cast myself at her feet begone mr lovelace said she with a rejecting motion her fan in her hand for your own sake leave me my soul is above thee man with both her hands pushing me from her urge me not to tell thee how sincerely i think my soul above thee thou hast in mine a proud a too proud heart to contend with leave me and leave me for ever thou hast a proud heart to contend with her air her manner her voice were bewitchingly noble though her words were so severe let me worship an angel said i no woman forgive me dearest creature creature if you be forgive me forgive my inadvertences forgive my inequalities pity my infirmities who is equal to my clarissa i trembled between admiration and love and wrapped my arms about her knees as she sat she tried to rise at the moment but my clasping round her thus ardently drew her down again and never was woman more affrighted but free as my clasping emotion might appear to her apprehensive heart i had not at the instant any thought but what reverence inspired and till she had actually withdrawn which i permitted under promise of a speedy return and on her consent to dismiss the chair all the motions of my heart were as pure as her own she kept not her word an hour i waited before i sent to claim her promise she could not possibly see me yet was her answer as soon as she could she would dorcas says she still excessively trembled and ordered her to give her hartshorn and water a strange apprehensive creature her terror is too great for the occasion evils are often greater in apprehension than in reality hast thou never observed that the terrors of a bird caught and actually in the hand bear no comparison to what we might have supposed those terrors would be were we to have formed a judgment of the same bird by its shyness before it was taken dear creature did she never romp did she never from girlhood to now hoyden the innocent kinds of freedom taken and allowed on these occasions would have familiarized her to greater sacrilege but to touch the hem of her garment excess of delicacy oh the consecrated beauty how can she think to be a wife but how do i know till i try whether she may not by a less alarming treatment be prevailed upon or whether day i have done with thee she may not yield to nightly surprises this is still the burden of my song i can marry her when i will 
and if i do after prevailing whether by surprise or by reluctant consent whom but myself shall i have injured it is now eleven o'clock she will see me as soon as she can she tells polly horton who made her a tender visit and to whom she is less reserved than to anybody else her emotion she assures her was not owing to perverseness to nicety to ill-humour but to weakness of heart she has not strength of mind sufficient she says to enable her to support her condition yet what a contradiction weakness of heart says she with such a strength of will oh belford she is a lion-hearted lady in every case where her honour her punctilia rather calls for spirit but i have had reason more than once in her case to conclude that the passions of the gentle slower to be moved than those of the quick are the most flaming the most irresistible when raised yet her charming body is not equally organised the unequal partners pull two ways and the divinity within her tears her silken frame but had the same soul informed a masculine body never would there have been a truer hero monday two o'clock not yet visible my beloved is not well what expectations had she from my ardent admiration of her more rudeness than revenge apprehended yet how my soul thirsts for revenge upon both these ladies i must have recourse to my master strokes this cursed project of miss howe and her mrs townsend if i cannot contrive to render it abortive will be always a sword hanging over my head upon every little disobligation my beloved will be for taking wing and the pains i have taken to deprive her of every other refuge or protection in order to make her absolutely dependent upon me will be all thrown away but perhaps i shall find out a smuggler to counterplot miss howe thou rememberest the contention between the sun and the north wind in the fable which should first make an honest traveller throw off his cloak boris began first he puffed away most vehemently and often made the poor fellow curve and stagger but with no other effect than to cause him to wrap his surtout the closer about him but when it came to phoebus's turn he so played upon the traveller with his beams that he made him first unbutton and then throw it quite off nor left he till he obliged him to take to the friendly shade of a spreading beech where prostrating himself on the thrown-off cloak he took a comfortable nap the victor god then laughed outright both at boris and the traveller and pursued his radiant course shining upon and warming and cherishing a thousand new objects as he danced along and at night when he put up his fiery courses he diverted his thetis with the relation of his pranks in the past day i in like manner will discard all my boisterous inventions and if i can oblige my sweet traveller to throw aside but for one moment the cloak of her rigid virtue i shall have nothing to do but like the sun to bless new objects with my rays but my chosen hours of conversation and repose after all my peregrinations will be devoted to my goddess and now belford according to my new system i think this house of mrs fretchville an embarrass upon me i will get rid of it for some time at least menel when i am out shall come to her inquiring for me what for thou ask what for hast thou not heard what has befallen poor mrs fretchville then i'll tell thee one of her maids about a week ago was taken with the smallpox the rest kept their mistress ignorant of it till friday and then she came to know of it by accident the greater half of the plagues poor mortals of condition are tormented with proceed from the servants they take partly for show partly for use and with a view to lessen their cares this has so terrified the widow that she is taken with all the symptoms that threaten an attack from that dreadful enemy of fair faces so must not think of removing yet cannot expect that we should be further delayed on her account she now wishes with all her heart that she had known her own mind and gone into the country at first when i treated about the house this evil then had not happened a cursed cross accident for us too hey ho nothing else i think in this mortal life people need not study to bring crosses upon themselves by their petulances so this affair of the house will be over at least for one while 
but then i can fall upon an expedient which will make amends for this disappointment i must move slow in order to be sure i have a charming contrivance or two in my head even supposing my beloved should get away to bring her back again but what has become of lord m i trow that he writes not to me in answer to my invitation if he would send me such a letter as i could show it might go a great way towards a perfect reconciliation i have written to charlotte about it he shall soon hear from me and that in a way he won't like if he writes not quickly he has sometimes threatened to disinherit me but if i should renounce him it would be but justice and would vex him ten times more than anything he can do will vex me then the settlement's unavoidably delayed by his neglect how shall i bear such a life of procrastination i who as to my will and impatience and so forth am of the true lady make and can as little bear control and disappointment as the best of them another letter from miss howe i suppose it is that which she promises in her last to send her relating to the courtship between old tony the uncle and annabella the mother i should be extremely rejoiced to see it no more of the smuggler plot in it surely this letter it seems she has put in her pocket but i hope i shall soon find it deposited with the rest monday evening at my repeated request she condescended to meet me in the dining-room to afternoon tea and not before she entered with bashfulness as i thought in a pretty confusion for having carried her apprehensions too far sullen and slow moved she towards the tea-table dorcas present busy in teacup preparations i took her reluctant hand and pressed it to my lips dearest loveliest of creatures why this distance why this displeasure how can you thus torture the faithfullest heart in the world she disengaged her hand again i would have snatched it be quiet peevishly withdrawing it and down she sat a gentle palpitation in the beauty of beauties indicating a mingled sullenness and resentment her snowy handkerchief rising and falling and a sweet flush overspreading her charming cheeks for god's sake madam and a third time i would have taken her repulsing hand and for the same sake sir no more teasing dorcas retired i drew my chair nearer hers and with the most respectful tenderness took her hand and told her that i could not forbear to express my apprehensions from the distance she was so desirous to keep me at that if any man in the world was more indifferent to her to use no harsher word than another it was the unhappy wretch before her she looked steadily upon me for a moment and with her other hand not withdrawing that i held pulled her handkerchief out of her pocket and by a twinkling motion urged forward a tear or two which having arisen in each sweet eye it was plain by that motion she would rather have dissipated but answered me only with a sigh and an averted face i urged her to speak to look up at me to bless me with an eye more favourable i had reason she told me for my complaint of her indifference she saw nothing in my mind that was generous i was not a man to be obliged or favoured my strange behaviour to her since saturday night for no cause at all that she knew of convinced her of this whatever hopes she had conceived of me were utterly dissipated all my ways were disgustful to her this cut me to the heart the guilty i believe in every case less patiently bear the detecting truth than the innocent do the degrading falsehood i bespoke her patience while i took the liberty to account for this change on my part i re-acknowledged the pride of my heart which could not bear the thought of that want of preference in the heart of a lady whom i hoped to call mine which she had always manifested marriage i said was a state that was not to be entered upon with indifference on either side it is insolence interrupted she it is a presumption sir to expect tokens of value without resolving to deserve them you have no whining creature before you mr lovelace overcome by weak motives to love where there is no merit miss howe can tell you sir that i never loved the faults of my friend nor ever wished her to love me for mine it was a rule with us not to spare each other and would a man who has nothing but faults for pray sir what are your virtues expect that i should show a value for him indeed if i did 
I should not deserve even his value, but ought to be despised by him. Well have you, madam, kept up to this noble manner of thinking. You are in no danger of being despised for any marks of tenderness or favour shown to the man before you. You have been, perhaps, you'll think, laudably studious of making and taking occasions to declare that it was far from being owing to your choice that you had any thoughts of me. My whole soul, madam, in all its errors, in all its wishes, in all its views, had been laid open and naked before you, had I been encouraged by such a share in your confidence and esteem, as would have secured me against your apprehended worse constructions of what I should from time to time have revealed to you and consulted you upon. For never was there a franker heart, nor a man so ready to accuse himself. This, Belford, is true. But you know, madam, how much otherwise it has been between us. Doubt, distance, reserve on your part, begat doubt, fear, or on mine. How little confidence, as if we apprehended each other to be a plotter rather than a lover. How have I dreaded every letter that has been brought you from Wilson's, and with reason, since the last from which I expected so much, on account of the proposals I had made you in writing, has, if I may judge by the effects, and by your denial of seeing me yesterday, though you could go abroad, and in a chair too, to avoid my attendance on you, set you against me more than ever. I was guilty, it seems, of going to church, said the indignant charmer, and without the company of a man, whose choice it would not have been to go, had I not gone. I was guilty of desiring to have the whole Sunday to myself, after I had obliged you against my will at a play, and after you had detained me, equally to my dislike, to a very late hour overnight. These were my faults, for these I was to be punished. I was to be compelled to see you, and to be terrified when I did see you, by the most shocking ill-humour that was ever shown to a creature in my circumstances, and not bound to bear it. You have pretended to find free fault with my father's temper, Mr. Lovelace, but the worst that he ever showed after marriage was not in the least to be compared to what you have shown twenty times beforehand. And what are my prospects with you, at the very best? My indignation rises against you, Mr. Lovelace, while I speak to you, when I recollect the many instances, equally ungenerous and unpolite, of your behaviour to one whom you have brought into distress, and I can hardly bear you in my sight. She turned from me, standing up, and lifting up her folded hands, and charming eyes, swimming in tears. Oh, my father, said the inimitable creature, you might have spared your heavy curse, had you known how I have been punished ever since my swerving feet led me out of your garden doors to meet this man. Then sinking into her chair, a burst of passionate tears forced their way down her glowing cheeks. My dearest life, taking her still folded hands in mine, who can bear an invocation so affecting, though so passionate? And as I hope to live, my nose tingled as I once, when a boy remember it did, and indeed once more very lately, just before some tears came into my eyes, and I durst hardly trust my face in view of hers. What have I done to deserve this impatient exclamation? Have I, at any time, by word, by deeds, by looks, given you cause to doubt my honour, my reverence, my adoration, I may call it, of your virtues? All is owing to misapprehension, I hope, on both sides. Condescend to clear up but your part, as I will mine, and all must speedily be happy. Would to heaven I love that heaven as I love you, and yet if I doubted a return in love, let me perish if I should know how to wish you mine. Give me hope, dearest creature, give me but hope that I am your preferable choice. Give me but hope that you hate me not, that you do not despise me. Oh, Mr. Lovelace, we have been long enough together to be tired of each other's humours and ways, ways and humours so different, that perhaps you ought to dislike me as much as I do you. I think, I think that I cannot make an answerable return to the value you profess for me. My temper is utterly ruined. You have given me an ill opinion of all mankind, of yourself in particular, and withal so bad a one of myself, that I shall never be able to look up, 
having utterly and for ever lost all that self-complacency and conscious pride which are so necessary to carry a woman through this life with tolerable satisfaction to herself she paused i was silent by my soul thought i this sweet creature will at last undo me she proceeded what now remains but that you pronounce me free of all obligation to you and that you hinder me not from pursuing the destiny that shall be allotted me again she paused i was still silent meditating whether to renounce all further designs upon her whether i had not received sufficient evidence of a virtue and of a greatness of soul that could not be questioned or impeached she went on propitious to me be your silence mr lovelace tell me that i am free of all obligation to you you know i never made you promises you know that you are not under any to me my broken fortunes i matter not she was proceeding my dearest life said i i have been all this time though you fill me with doubts of your favour busy in the nuptial preparations i am actually in treaty for equipage equipage sir trappings tinsel what is equipage what is life what is anything to a creature sunk so low as i am in my own opinion labouring under a father's curse unable to look backward without self-reproach or forward without terror these reflections strengthened by every cross accident and what but cross accidents befall me all my darling schemes dashed in pieces all my hopes at an end deny me not the liberty to refuge myself in some obscure corner where neither the enemies you have made me nor the few friends you have left me may ever hear of the supposed rash one till those happy moments are at hand which shall expiate for all i had not a word to say for myself such a war in my mind had i never known gratitude and admiration of the excellent creature before me combating with villainous habit with resolutions so premeditatedly made and with views so much gloried in an hundred new contrivances in my head and in my heart that to be honest as it is called must all be given up by a heart delighting in intrigue and difficulty miss howe's virulences endeavoured to be recollected yet recollection refusing to bring them forward with the requisite efficacy i had certainly been a lost man had not dorcas come seasonably in with the letter on the superscription written be pleased sir to open it now i retired to the window opened it it was from dorcas herself these the contents be pleased to detain my lady a paper of importance to transcribe i will cough when i have done i put the paper in my pocket and turned to my charmer less disconcerted as she by that time had also a little recovered herself one favour dearest creature let me but know whether miss howe approves or disapproves of my proposals i know her to be my enemy i was intending to account to you for the change of behaviour you accused me of at the beginning of the conversation but was diverted from it by your vehemence indeed my beloved creature you are very vehement do you think it must not be a matter of high regret to me to find my wishes so often delayed and postponed in favour of your predominant view to a reconciliation with relations who will not be reconciled to you to this was owing your declining to celebrate our nuptials before we came to town though you were so atrociously treated by your sister and your whole family and though so ardently pressed to celebrate by me to this was owing the ready offence you took at my four friends and at the unavailing attempt i made to see a dropped letter little imagining from what two such ladies could write to each other that there could be room for mortal displeasure to this was owing the week's distance you held me at till you knew the issue of another application but when they had rejected that when you had sent my cold received proposals to miss howe for her approbation or advice as indeed i advised and had honoured me with your company at the play on saturday night my whole behaviour unobjectionable to the last hour must not madam the sudden change in your conduct the very next morning astonish and distress me and this persisted in with still stronger declarations 
after you had received the impatiently expected letter from miss howe must i not conclude that all was owing to her influence and that some other application or project was meditating that made it necessary to keep me again at a distance till the result were known and which was to deprive me of you for ever for was not that your constantly proposed preliminary well madam might i be brought up to a half frenzy by this apprehension and well might i charge you with hating me and now dearest creature let me know i once more ask you what is miss howe's opinion of my proposals were i disposed to debate with you mr lovelace i could very easily answer your fine harangue but at present i shall only say that your ways have been very unaccountable you seem to me if your meanings were always just to have taken great pains to embarrass them whether owing in you to the want of a clear head or a sound heart i cannot determine but it is to the want of one of them i verily think that i am to ascribe the greatest part of your strange conduct curse upon the heart of the little devil said i who instigates you to think so hardly of the faithfullest heart in the world how dare you sir and there she stopped having almost overshot herself as i designed she should how dare i what madam and i looked with meaning how dare i what vile man and do you and there again she stopped do i what madam and why vile man how dare you curse anybody in my presence oh the sweet receder but that was not to go off so with the lovelace why then dearest creature is there anybody that instigates you if there be again i curse them be they whom they will she was in a charming pretty passion and this was the first time that i had the odds in my favour well madam it is just as i thought and now i know how to account for a temper that i hope is not natural to you artful wretch and is it thus you would entrap me but know sir that i received letters from nobody but miss howe miss howe likes some of your ways as little as i do for i have set everything before her yet she is thus far from your enemy as she is mine she thinks i could not refuse your offers but endeavour to make the best of my lot and now you have the truth would to heaven you were capable of dealing with equal sincerity i am madam and here on my knee i renew my vows and my supplication that you will make me yours yours for ever and let me have cause to bless you and miss howe in the same breath to say the truth belford i had before begun to think that the vixen of a girl who certainly likes not hickman was in love with me rise sir from your too ready knees and mock me not too ready knees thought i though this humble posture so little affects this proud beauty she knows not how much i have obtained of others of her sex nor how often i have been forgiven for the last attempts by kneeling mock you madam and i arose and re-urged her for the day i blame myself at the same time for the invitation i had given to lord m as it might subject me to delay from his infirmities but told her that i would write to him to excuse me if she had no objection or to give him the day she would give me and not wait for him if he could not come in time my day sir said she is never be not surprised a person of politeness judging between us would not be surprised that i say so but indeed mr lovelace and wept through impatience you either know not how to treat with a mind of the least degree of delicacy notwithstanding your birth and education or you are an ungrateful man and after a pause a worse than ungrateful one but i will retire i will see you again to-morrow i cannot before i think i hate you and if upon a re-examination of my own heart i find i do i would not for the world that matters should go on further between us but i see i see she does not hate me how it would mortify my vanity if i thought there was a woman in the world much more this that could hate me tis evident villain as she thinks me that i should not be an odious villain if i could but at last in one instance cease to be a villain she could not hold it determined as she had thought herself i saw by her eyes the moment i endeavoured to dissipate her apprehensions on my too ready knees as she calls them the moment the rough covering my teasing behaviour has thrown over her affections is quite removed 
I doubt not to find all silk and silver at the bottom, all soft, bright, and charming. I was, however, too much vexed, disconcerted, mortified, to hinder her from retiring, and yet she had not gone, if Dorcas had not coughed. The wench came in as soon as her lady had retired, and gave me the copy she had taken, and what should it be but of the answer the truly admirable creature had intended to give to my written proposals in relation to settlements? I have but just dipped my pen into this affecting paper. Were I to read it attentively, not a wink should I sleep this night. To-morrow it shall obtain my serious consideration. End of letter 47